0: my dad and i used to have this ongoing kind of funny joke and i don't know where it started i think it started my i i was kind of at our house the the i thought my name for a long time was was getwood you know because i was i was the getwood and i was the mow and clipped the hedges and all that stuff well every time i clipped the hedges you know you you always had to battle wasps and uh, so one day one day, my dad asked me, "He goes, which which hurts worse, a red hornet or a green hornet?" And I'm like, "I I don't know." He goes, "Well, we could get some jars and put some red hornets in them and some green hornets, and you just put your hand in one jar and your other hand." I'm like, "That is what are you talking about?" Well, the reason I'm saying that is uh, we're we're looking at in chapter six uh, the opening of these seals, right? And as much as it doesn't make sense to me that you're going to stick your hand in a jar of hornets. What we're seeing is God at work doing what theologians like to call his alien work, his alien work, okay? So when you say alien work, you're talking about something that seems contrary to the character of God. When you say to somebody, fill in the blank, God is, what's the first word that comes out? God is? Great, great good, love, love. All right, that's the picture that we have. What we don't have is a picture of a God who says we're going to open seven seals up and every seal that we open up, guess what? Harm, pain is going to come upon the earth. And you think to yourself, well, I don't want to stick my hand in a jar of hornets and I don't want you to open that seal up because it makes no sense to me that you're going to bring this pain upon the earth. Well, this is what theologians call God's alien work. One of the things that God has done since the beginning uh, of creation and the fall is He has put a curse upon the very earth that He made. After Adam and Eve fell in the garden, here's what what God did. He says, I'm not going to just put things back the way they were. We're not going to just say, okay, you're forgiven and move on. Because I know you. And I know all those who will follow you, the succession." And here's what I know about human beings, is human beings will always want to be their own God and make their own decisions. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to put a curse upon the very earth that I made. And in the third chapter of Genesis, you hear God actually speaking a curse upon the earth that exists to this very day. That curse is a little bit of what we're seeing here, is God is allowing, and in some cases causing, right, Our world, this world that we live in, to bring us pain. Why? So you don't get as comfortable in it and find a place in it where you say, I'm God. But he does his alien work always to do this, to bring us back to him, to say, you know what, God? We don't have all the answers. We can't figure this thing out. We're not God. We need you. That's the alien work of God that we're seeing. So um, the scene that we're looking at, John John is describing to us, involves these scrolls. And um, the scroll is sealed up with seven seals, uh, the Jesus number. And as each of the seven seals is broken open, we're going to get a little bit of a different look at some of the things that are happening on planet Earth, leading us all the way to the end. And when the last seal is opened up, the world is going to end. Okay, So we've looked at the first two seals. And actually the first four seals that get opened up Uh, here in chapter 6 all involve what horses when I think of all the stories in the book of Revelation uh, this is one that many people have heard of it's it's very familiar through art right Uh, most of us have seen pictures of the four horsemen and uh, what we've what we said so far is when you see horses all right they're a symbol for something they're a symbol for war right and you've got to keep this in mind that the whole of, of the Bible including revelation is meant to say to us we're living in a war zone but the war is for what for souls okay and there's two forces at work right if we could see the spiritual world we've got God and his sabbath army his hosts angels and we've got Satan a fallen angel and his host of angels and we are at war for souls and in the midst of that God calls out his church he says church Guess what? I'm putting you here in the world what, to join this battle. Okay? What we know as the church of God is we, we cannot overcome Satan. You cannot do that. You cannot overcome an, a fallen angel. Only God can do that. So our role, our role is to do what? Is to bring his gospel through which he is going to change people's lives. That's our work. That is our work. All right, so four horses. There are four colors associated with the horses. Each of them is meant to tell us a little bit, something different about what we're gonna see happening as we move towards the end of the world. The first horse, uh, which we spent a little bit of time on, is in my opinion, the most dangerous horse of all. It is the Lucas or the white horse. Dangerous because it appears to be good, all right? Um, I like to call this false religion. But it's not as simple as Well, Buddhism is false religion, and Islam is false realism, and Judaism is, it's not that simple. The reality is that the white horse rides even within the church today, and to me, that's the scariest thing of all, that we have churches in our our country today, in our world today, that are actually teaching people theology that will separate them from Jesus Christ forever. In Luther's time, remember why the Reformation happened? That white horse was the Catholic Church who brought thousands of people together and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sell you, we're going to sell you a piece of paper blessed by the Pope, signed signed and sealed by him that will pre-forgive your sins. So you come on in and you buy one of these pieces of paper, it's called an indulgence, and you go out and sin and you know what? It's okay, because you got it covered by the Pope. And you know what? Simple, peasant people, by the thousands, bought these pieces of paper, funded the church, and Luther came along and said, that's not of God. That's of Satan. Okay? Now that's a very obvious, that's a very obvious white horse maneuver. It looks good. I mean, it's got the seal of the Pope on it. Today, I see the white horse riding in the Christian church in abundance with a theology that says it really doesn't matter how you live or what choices you make. We are all sinners, and God simply will forgive us all, and we're just going to go to heaven. Unless maybe you're a terrorist or or a Hitler or a Mussolini, then maybe you're not going to make it. There's just a lot of white horse theology riding in the church today. I found myself this weekend, you know, at our district convention uh, listening to things that people were saying and asking myself the question where is the white horse trying to penetrate this church body because he does he's always at work trying to take something that God meant for good twisted just a little bit so it sounds good and it sounds right but in fact what it will kill you and destroy you if you buy it okay so most dangerous horse of all is riding rampantly in our world today, and in American theology, oh my goodness, be careful, because it is all over the place. Second horse we looked at was the Ross or the red horse, all right? And the red horse, red, of course, you think immediately of, of blood and death, and the red horse, of course, symbolic of the reality that in these last days, and I, I like the way that uh, Timothy says this, people people will will have their love grow cold. Their love grow cold. Um, I see see this just so frequently in our news today. Uh, Acts of atrocities of human beings against one another, whether they're at the global scale or just the individual scale, you find yourself saying, how can people have the kind of emptiness and hatred inside of themselves that they do, that they kill? one another and yet that's the red horse Uh, could God stop all the wars that have ever happened on planet earth yes does he choose not to stop the wars yes that's the point of the horse is to cause us to realize that death is going to be a part of life and not just death but in some cases horrible death and in the midst of it all what God is doing is saying therefore stand on the foundation Of the gospel of my cross that you may not fear death no matter what happens to you it always brings us back to him today we're going to start off with this one now this is kind of an interesting one to me is the melos horse or the black horse okay Uh, interesting we get our term in in english language in the medical profession melanoma from uh this uh greek term melos melanoma will kill you well guess what so so will the black horse he's a very interesting one to look at in fact of the four this is this is one and the white horse is one that i find people kind of miss uh what's going on here let's take a look at it and see if you can figure out what's going on you go to verse number five and it says it like this when he opened the third seal i'm going to insert something here this is, just, this is just my cynical mind. <laughs> I always insert this word. When he opened the third seal, I, John, screamed, Don't open another seal! <laughs> We've had enough already, right? I really kind of feel that way, like John is experiencing this, and there's that, there's that part in you that just says, God, just why do we have to let this happen? But he has a purpose for it. So he opens the third seal and says, I heard the third living creature say, Erku, come, and I looked. And behold, a black horse. And its rider, interesting, had a pair of scales in his hand. So kind of get that picture in your mind. Measurement, weight, scales. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. What in the world is that? Right? What is going on with this black horse and this scale? Well, I think this is one of the more confusing ones for people because you, you look at it and you think to yourself, all right, what, what what's wheat and barley and a denarius and oil and wine? But I want you to think a little bit about the symbols that are being used here. The first symbol that's important is, is that weight scale, right, because it, it talks about balance. And if I'm out of balance, I can be on either side. And so that's important to this picture. So are the, the items that are being named, wheat and barley and oil and wine. All are, what, resources, commodities that we use in our lives. But there's a difference between the two, right? In that barley and wheat represent something that I'm just going to call a necessity. Okay, So the basics of life. I, I, I need the barley, I need the wheat because it's, it's it's kind of part of the essence of my food groups and my life. It brings me life. Whereas oil and wine are not so much. They are both kind of a luxury all right and that's true if you go back into uh, the, the, the ancient days you would say oil wine typically would be expensive right barley and wheat would be what inexpensive right because i get my barley and wheat that's just to make the food that we eat but wine if i want wine that that's kind of a significant expenditure the way by the way this is just kind of a side note kind of interesting to me when you go into Rome there's a lot of wine bars right and uh, as you walk around you'll see throughout the cities where they would place these little shops where you'd stop in and you would get wine right now um, here's the deal in Rome men were allowed to legally drink wine okay women we're not allowed to drink wine. Okay, does that sound fair? bunch of whiners. Right? Yeah. <laughs> now here's here's kind of a, here's kind of an interesting side, and I'm just giving you a side note here. Uh, today, when when we practice uh, this amorous thing called kissing, right? Where does that custom come from? That we kiss one another, right? So uh, you see it in the Bible. Greet Greet strangers, greet one another with a holy kiss. And in the Middle East you'll see that. You, you even see Greeks do that, right? Kiss each other on the cheek like that. But this amorous kiss, guess where that comes from? Wine. And in the Roman Empire, what would happen is a male would kiss his female to determine whether or not she had drinking wine. <laughs> and if she had, she could be put to death. And so the next time you kiss and you have this amorous <laughs> feeling, remember where it all comes from, not so good. In the, uh, in the Hebrew culture, wine has a completely different connotation. In fact, it's a, it's a beautiful part of life, right? All through the Bible, the vine, the, wine, the vine of the grapes represents Israel. And the grapes, the, the, the life of the community, and it's why Jesus, when he comes, says, uh, I'm, I'm the vine, and you're the branches, right? You have your life in and through me. It's a sign of the banquet to come. Uh, it's, it's the, the, the wine at, at the supper of the Lord. All of that is connotated, but wine is expensive. It's not something that you just take out and have any day. Same with oil. All right, so we have these scales. Now, normally, we would say the barley and the wheat... We would have to have a lot of barley and wheat to balance out the wine and the oil because it's not so expensive. This is expensive. But guess what? That's changed here. When you see the black horse, you hear a voice that's yelling out. What does it say? It says, all right, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Well, a denarius would be the equivalent of one full day's wages. Okay. So all of a sudden, this substance that is abundant is very expensive. Why? Because it is no longer abundant. It is scarce. Whereas oil and wine are aplenty. There's all that you want. But if I had all the oil and wine that I wanted in my life, and no barley and wheat, guess what would happen to me? i die, right? So the, the less expensive commodity, that which brings life, is out of balance with the expensive commodity, which is a luxury, I don't actually need it. And so what we're representing here is the reality that on planet Earth, all the way to the last times, guess what's going to happen? There will always be an imbalance in the natural resources that surround us. They will always be out of balance. Things that we depend upon, things that we need for life, will actually, and we see this from time to time, become scarce. All right? When we look at history, the black horse would be represented by what? By famine. Right? So you go through long stretches of history where people need food to eat, but guess what? There is none. Uh, When you read the Bible, story after story, uh, Israel moving out of Israel for what reason? Because we lack food, and we've got to go into Egypt to get food. Uh, in, in America, I think about this. Um, when I turn on the news, and I look at all the stuff that's going on, um, I kind of laughed about this when we were in Texas, you, you can go for long periods of time where, I mean for years, where the, the news guy comes on, and his message is this. Our lakes are getting lower and lower and lower and lower. And guess what? The water supply is getting lower and lower and lower. And the way that you began to see this was through water rationing. You can't sprinkle your yard every day, go to every other day. And then when it gets a little bit worse, go to once a week. And now you're driving around and you're seeing everybody's yard is just dead except the bishop's. That's actually kind of true. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Potter, the Potter House. Bishop T.D. Jakes. Every year when they would print the largest water users in Dallas, he was like second, second to the top on list, right? I think Jerry Jones was a little bit higher. Um, they always had green lawns for some reason. But you would. you drive around, you're going to see all these. these uh, to the degree that there are some cities that now start to worry our water supply is going to run out, right? That's what a drought is. And then all of a sudden, just like that, guess what Texas had this year? Now, not just a little, but what? Now all of a sudden, these people that have been in a drought for a long time are yelling, turn it off! We don't need any more water, right? Right. Well, what what the black horse is saying to us is that throughout time, as you move towards the end, there will be an imbalance in all of the natural resources that exist on planet Earth. Some of the things that you don't need may become, you know, stuff that you say, well, there's plenty of that, but that is not going to help me live. And so the imbalance that we're paying attention to is the imbalance of those resources that we need for life. Here's, here's what we can predict. As you move through the end time, we've already seen it historically, you have droughts and you have famines and i think we will see again uh, and again until the end comes that imbalance uh, that's represented here and um so we say to ourselves again god why would you do that uh when you made the garden when you made eden there was never any imbalance right uh there was always perfect balance always exactly what's needed to supply for the life chain uh, of, of all that creatures that you made and put on earth. Why would you do this? Well, God says, look, I'm going to create, literally, part of my curse is, I'm going to create a situation where there are going to be times where human beings get down on their knees and they pray and beg me to supply for them. Okay. Now, someone my age doesn't appreciate as much as someone my parents' age appreciated what that meant and looked like right when america went through its depression and dust bowl days and i've always said one of the most interesting things about the dust bowl in this region right here uh, any of you have like great great grandparents that went through went through that stuff okay always the most interesting thing to me was i mean it was a horrible time there were people dying there are people that are like god help us right uh, most interesting to me is that underneath underneath the earth was something called the Ogallala Reservoir. You know what it is? It's an ocean of fresh water. And so I always think about that as well, as God would say, when the earth is parched and dry, understand that you are standing upon an ocean of my supply and depend upon me, call upon me. That's why the psalmist says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. That's what the black horse is meant to do. So when you see these scales, you're looking at just this imbalance between the necessities of life while there's a sometimes an overabundance of the non-necessities or luxuries that we have. And they will result in typically large, large, a large amount of death in this world. Um, so... Anything that you look at that kind of represents that imbalance, that's the black horse that's riding. The uh, last horse that's going to ride is a. This is kind of a weird word. Um, it's a hard one to color. the The actual Greek term is chloros, and um, we actu- we get we kind of get our word chlorine from it, right? So, um, you know, in Texas we had a a pool i took care of so i'd have to pop that chlorine lid off and all you know you smell that stuff well the actual color of it if you if you read it in in, in your bibles it's it's going to say a, a pale horse okay the actual color of it would be kind of a sickly green like a sickly green so when you think of pale just think of somebody's face after they've puked right <laughs> just kind of look at that you're like you look kind of Pale, yucky, green, sick, right? That's what this horse looks like. That's the actual color that's represented here. Um, this horse is kind of interesting to me. It varies, it varies just a little bit from the first three uh, in, in the nature of what, what it symbolizes. So, so let's, let's go ahead and read it, and then we'll talk just a little bit about it. The ghostly green um, horse. When he opened a fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. Okay, how many of you are thinking right now of Clint Eastwood and the pale rider, right? I mean, I, I was I, I love that movie. That was just... If you haven't seen that one, you've got to look it up. It's good. And it says, And they were given authority... Over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth okay Um, there's something a little bit different here about this particular horse okay because it's naming some things that we've already heard right so what is significant about this is is not so much just the symbols that are involved with what this horse is doing But there's a numeric value that I want you to pay attention to. Okay, first for just the symbols. The writer's name was Death and Hades followed him. Okay. So, um, really you're just putting two things together. Hades here, I I think a lot of you know this, is is often, um, often represents hell. Right? So we would say, my parents would say, don't you say those words, go to hell. That's wrong. I'm, okay, go to Hades. You know what I mean? So you could, no, that's not going to work either, right? Um, Hades is a, it's a very broad term. In the Greek language, what happens in the Bible is the, the writers of the scripture use a lot of Greek terms, and they basically just steal the term, take it into the Christian context, and the meaning of it becomes something a little bit different, okay? Even in the Greek world, Hades... If you remember, it started off as the god of the underworld, and you would say Ares. Ares is the god of the underworld. Hades is the god of the underworld. Um, so it, it started off not hell. The Greeks don't have a hell, but they have an underworld. And um, I, I've always thought about this. And their in their underworld, what would happen is when you would die, they believed you would go under the earth. And uh, if you've ever seen pictures, the Greeks at the Romans. If you were wealthy, right, when they buried you, they would put two coins on your eyes. You ever see pictures of that? So I'm like, so why do they put the coins on the eyes? Well, here's why. They believe that when you went into the underworld, there's a river of fire called sticks that you have to cross over. And if you can cross over that river of sticks, of fire, then you get to the other side where you join what they would call the, the, the land of the shadows. So you have life. They, they had a picture, the Greeks did, of afterlife, but it was a shadow life that you had after you physically died here on earth. Now, to get across that river of sticks, you need the coins to pay the ferryman, and the ferryman takes you across the river. And I always love it because Paul would come into, into a Greek or a Roman Greco area, and he would say this. He'd say, it's not silver, or gold by which we are saved but the precious blood of Jesus Christ and what Paul was always trying to say is where what saves us is not something that takes us across a river of fire but something that delivers us from something greater than the underworld it is called hell now in the Bible the Apostles the writers of Scripture they adopted this term Hades sometimes to signify hell not in this case this case it's more broad uses meant Hades simply signifies what the Hebrews would call Sheol or the grave right Hebrews did the same thing Sheol sometimes the grave sometimes hell right they had that sense in the Old Testament as well hear the broader use of it so you're just putting these two things together i'm seeing this sickly green chlorine horse riding and as this horse rides it's followed by death and the grave everybody's going to die everybody's going to go to the grave all right single greatest thing that i believe god uses to get people's attention to call us to himself the grave, the box. You can't escape it. I've always said as a pastor, your most, your most significant preaching will happen in a room when there's a box in it. And everybody's sitting in the room, and they're looking at that box. And they're asking themselves this question. Have you ever noticed this? People will look at that box and the person in it, and as they talk to each other with kind of this sad look on their face, They're always saying this. How did he die? How did she die? You notice that? You've said it yourself, right? Now, I really believe this. That old man that lives inside of us doesn't want to die. There's a part of us that knows we weren't meant to die. When God created Adam and Eve, he created two creatures who would not die. They live in eternity with him, right? Death comes as part of that curse. It's the one thing that calls, calls us to our knees. You can't stop it. You can't prevent it. You can't buy your way out of it, talk your way out of it, do anything out of it. It's coming. But that old man inside of us typically is asking the question for a reason. How did she die? Well, she had a heart attack. Now, just really listen carefully to people. Well, yeah, she smoked. What are they really saying to themselves? I'm not gonna smoke so I won't die. Right? How did that one die? He had cancer. Oh, oh, um. Yeah, but he, he, that guy, he, he, he kind of lived a crazy life. You know, he's run a lot of chemicals. He's run a lot of chemicals, huh? Part of our old man always. Won. So the most, the most significant thing that calls people to our knees is the box. And so what's happening is this pale green sickly horse is riding and death is present and the box, the grave is there and the question on the table is how do I escape that? You cannot. It is the one thing that calls us back to our knees to know that I don't have an answer for that. I can't stop it. There's only one that has an answer for it. Not silver or gold, but with my precious blood, have I overcome death on a cross and through a grave for you. The horse is riding the same reason that every other horse is riding to call people back to their knees and to the recognition that there's only one hope for death. Now, several things are named here. How does death occur? According to this horse, you have several things that are going on. They were giving authority to kill with the sword, right? Right? Well, we've already heard that. That's part of the red horse. There's war. There's people killing one another. And with famine, well, we've already heard that. That's the black horse. And with pestilence, well, with pestilence, pestilence typically follows, actually kind of follows in the same vein as the black horse. Just a little bit different. Okay. Pestilence, would be Japan right now. True. Um, turn on your TV and take a look. Just remembered this. Tet's over in Japan, isn't it? Everybody's wearing a mask. You know why they're wearing a mask right now? Mirza. It's a little virus. Let me ask you this question. Have we figured out a way to stop that virus? Not so much. Okay. So when I grew up, I grew up in a a day and a time where when I was, like in high school, here's the word that my parents would use, syphilis. I'd be like, what's that? They'd be, well, it's this little virus that you can get if if you have relationships with somebody outside of marriage. That's how my parents would say it to me. I'd be, oh, what does it do to you? Well, it gets into your bloodstream, and then it'll actually, most of the time, kind of go into a, a dormant, it'll have an active stage, then it'll go into a dormant stage. And then when it moves into its third stage, it'll kill you. Might am like, kill you? I'm like, really? Seriously? You're like, oh yeah, that'll kill you. And so when I got married, and a lot of you did the same thing, you had a blood test. And the reason you had that blood test was to determine whether or not you had you your carrier of syphilis. We don't do that today by the way uh, no blood tests you sign up for your license and you receive it right because it's not politically correct to look at people's blood anymore right so um, I got a little bit older and it was called AIDS and people said can we stop that nope couldn't figure out a way to stop that well we're gonna work on these cocktails and we're gonna figure out a way to stop that MRSA can we stop that not today Today we've got masks. We're going, to oh, my goodness gracious, I don't want that. If you get sick, for goodness sakes, don't go to the hospital, right? You may die. Um, people are afraid of this stuff. That's pestilence, okay? And then he says, by the wild beasts of the earth, which sounds kind of funny to us living in America today, but what have we had on the news for the last couple of months? Some lady drives into a deal, rolls her window down to take a picture of a lion. Don't take a picture of a lion, all right? <laughs> leave them alone okay so what's what is what is the significance of this well the significance is not just in the how people are dying but i want you to notice this the number of people okay that's what's significant here um because in some ways this fourth horse represents the whole of all of the horses that are bringing death here's what it says they were given authority over a fourth of the earth. Okay? Now, here's, here's what I want you to pay attention to. Pay attention to and make a note of that now because as we get a little bit further into the book of the Revelation, that number is going to go up. Okay? And so what it's saying to us is that at any given time in history, God is authorizing all of these horses to bring death to a certain number of people. So when we say a fourth, it's not literally one-fourth of the earth is dying, but what it's saying is that God is limiting, he's limiting the scope of death. He's limiting it. He's put boundaries on it. If God wanted to, he could unleash those boundaries, and and I, I will just tell you right now, if you unleashed all those boundaries, the number of people dying in the world today would go whoosh, just soar up. And there's nothing human beings could do about it if God said I'm going to release pestilence I'm letting you deal with AIDS I'll let you deal with MRSA. I will let you it." what if God said all at one time I'm gonna send about seven of them on you worldwide globally huge panic okay because guess what humans can't stop it we'd be like no we've got to stop this no you can't stop it it's just coming at you all right so what I want you to see is in this verse, I want you to see both, the, both sides of God, his alien work, that he's using this stuff to actually bring harm to carry out that curse so that people will depend upon him. But also see the grace side of it here, is that we follow a God who at all times is saying, I'm going to limit what Satan can do. I'm going to limit what the fallen angels can do. I'm going to limit... What I'm allowing to happen in nature and in my resources, I'm going to limit what I have happening with pestilences. At all times, you and I are under grace. Now think about these words with me again. There's a time and a time and a half a time. This is why when people say to me, Luke, do you think we're in the last times? I'm like, well, no, I don't have to think. I know we're in the last times. But are we in the last time? I'll say, well, if you want some signs of the last time, Start taking the boundaries off of some of these things. And all of a sudden, you have global panic because you have death happening and human beings can't stop it. And all of it God is using to say what? There's an answer to death. There's an answer to the box. The key is the cross. Come to the cross and you will find answer over death. We're all going to die physically unless the Lord returns. But you do not have to die the second death that is a spiritual death i'm giving you the key over that death so that you can like adam and eve live forever on new earth with me that's the purpose of these four horses okay so let's look at this this last piece i just want to introduce it the horses you can hear them riding right and while all this is going on there's something happening in heaven and so um Let's, let's just at least introduce this, this fifth seal, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, okay, I see what's going on on earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true. How long before you will judge and avenge our blood upon those who are the dwellers on earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been killed. Okay. So we're seeing all this death Now the fifth seal takes us up to heaven. We're underneath an altar. The altar that's being described here, you would find in Exodus 30, is the the altar of incense where the prayers are made to God, right? And so you're getting to listen to the voices of souls, people who've died, whether it was through pestilence or through sword. These particular people died specifically because of their witness for Jesus Christ. Okay, now I'm going to close on this note today. We, we don't have a sense of this in this country. We, not yet, we don't. But there are so many countries that today, when you got up to go to church, you have to know in your mind that the church that I'm going to today may get bombed, blown up. Okay. And I think probably one of the most... Um, I'll never get it out of my head. One of the most stunning moments of discovery for my, for my life was a little family that came over from Syria. One day this guy stopped me and said, Look, I've got a video for you to watch. And when I plugged it in, it was cell phone camera footage on the day that his family's church bombed. And to watch a dad have to walk over and pick up his dead child and to watch people that are just being picked up and put on stretchers and carried off. Hundreds of them. And it made me just kind of pull back and say, you know what, we're living in a world today where we don't think about this, but every day, especially on the Lord's Day, around this globe, there are people who are experiencing that and I will never forget him saying this to me at the end of that video, I was stunned silent. I had nothing to say. Everything inside of me was broken. Every bit of me broken. And I'm thinking, that damned enemy of ours? Now look what he's done. Here's what he said to me. He said, Luke, the following Sunday, There was no building there was no altar there's no pulpit the church was full because we will not back down we believe that Jesus Christ has overcome death and we will stand on that until the day we die and I think about these martyrs that are under the altar and they're crying out to God how long Before you will avenge our blood upon those who dwell upon the earth. Rest. Rest a little while. Until the number of those, think about this, God has already planned the exact number of those that are to be killed for their faith has been completed. And I will tell you this. When, when will the trumpet blow? Then. When the number of people who are to be killed for their faith are completed, then. Then it will blow. It's not then. And some of us have to ask ourselves the question, will the day come? Maybe not for me, maybe. Maybe for my grandkids, maybe for their kids. If the Lord doesn't return, when here in this country, there may be persecution. We can't think of it, can we? Not today, but there may come that day. And when that day comes, stand fast upon the blood of Jesus Christ. All right, let's close with the prayer. Lord, thank you.